Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This is the official Winning Time podcast from HBO, Hyper Object Industries, and Pineapple Street Studios. I'm Rodney Barnes. I want to build something special. The Los Angeles Lakers select... The entire league is on the verge of bankruptcy. Irvin. With me, it's going to be exciting. Magic. Our girls, they won't cheer. They'll dance. Johnson. It's showtime! Today I'm on the show catching up with actor Devon Nixon to talk about what it's like to play his father, point guard Norm Nixon, in the show. Norm helped usher in a new era of the Lakers dynasty. And I'll also talk with a key collaborator on the Winning Time crew, Sarah Scott. She's our intimacy coordinator who helps make sure that all the sex and nudity scenes are shot safely and with respect. But first, let's stop by the film room for a quick recap of this week's episode. The Lakers are in Palm Springs for training camp, and tensions are high. It's a new team with a new coach, and let's just say there are obvious growing pains. I'm a rookie, but I ain't no bitch! But we finally get a chance to see Coach Jack McKinney in action. He's got a vision for the team, unlike anything the players have seen. A new style of offense that will make the Lakers invincible. Constant motion offense. Don't stagnate in positions. Dart, pass, keep our opponents chasing us. Meanwhile, Dr. Buss is bleeding financially. His dreams for the Lakers and for the form are bigger than his wallet. But there is light at the end of the tunnel thanks to his mama, Jesse Buss, played by the great Sally Field. I'm not selling the team. No, 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 I would never dream of that. Uh-uh. <laughs> You're giving it away. And by the end of the episode, everything starts coming together. We see the spark of the new Lakers era. Magic and Norm begin to gel. The team realizes McKinney's strategy isn't so crazy after all. And a new, sexier, flashier vision for the form is born. Maybe this is what we should be doing. Collecting bimbos? Selling a fantasy. Episode 4 is where we see the birth of the Lakers' signature Showtime offense. First up is actor Devon Nixon, who has a unique connection to this Lakers history. Devon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mr. Barnes. Um, I wanted to start off talking about your career. You've been acting for a while. Can you take us through the, the journey of Devon Nixon as an actor? Oh, uh, man. So I started as... An Oshkosh Bagash model. Mm. 
<laughs> when I was young. I don't remember you. God, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that much, uh, that, that much clout at that time. But, but you were uh, cute, probably. Yeah, I was. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Still, no, what, what? no, you're adorable. What? You thank still you. are adorable, man. <laughs> thank you, I man. Just wanted to say that on the record. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Rodney thinks I'm adorable. I love that. I'll take it, man. Anything, any compliment from you. But um, I literally started as an Oshkosh Bagash model, got scouted in a mall, and then I um, did this campaign for a game called Geo Safari. And after that, I booked a movie called To Sleep With Anger. With yep. Danny Glover, Shirley Ralph, I remember Richard it. Roundtree, all all the hitters back in the day, and then um, from that, uh, it you know Bodyguard and Terminator Two okay. and all of those things, and you know that's how I just rolled into the industry. I wanted to switch gears a little bit. What was okay. it like growing up having a father that's an NBA player? I honestly didn't realize how popular my dad was. You know, we would do these little bike rides with the whole family, and we would go Third Street Promenade every Friday, watch movies, you know, him and my stepmom. And I would just always remember just people just coming up to him and, Norm, Norm. And I'm like, how do you know people at the— <laughs> You know my dad. How do you know all these people at the, at the promenade, yeah, man? My, like, my father's did, did you work up here? Yeah. <laughs> you work at this movie theater? <laughs> so I was literally like— what is going on? And, um, you know, I, I just, and, and then when we started going to Laker games together and the respect that he got, um, that's when I kind of knew. A story, I'll tell you, um, we were in Positano, we were in Italy, and we were sitting down. And I come back from the bathroom, and I'm sitting down, I'm just, you know, chatting with my family. Michael Jordan's right next to me. Uh-oh. And I look over, Great guy, but he's talking about how cold my dad was. And Jordan, to me, was, yeah. <sighs> he's, you know, he's the top for me. You know, I love Kobe. I love LeBron. I love Jordan, man. He was he was just a cold dude, you know. Um, he did things that, you know, people wish they could recreate. And the fact that I saw him giving my dad props, that, that was when I was like, okay. <laughs> he All must right. have been something. Yeah, yeah, he must have been a little something. He, <laughs> he must, must have, have had he must something have made special. a mark. Yeah. 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 So segueing from that, mm-hmm. now you're playing your father. Right. How did you feel about that going through that process? And how did he feel about that? Okay. So let me let me let me be a straight shooter. Let me get real. My dad is a person who doesn't really give too many compliments. You know, I would score 30 points in a game and he'd tell me how I didn't get back on defense. (laughs) I'm like, motherfucker. (laughs) Really? I just busted busted them up in this game. Really? The one time I didn't get back on defense? So for me, he was like, I was like, yo, Pop, I, I, I booked the role. And he was like, oh, cool. I was like, all right. That's it. <laughs> he was like, nah, man, do your thing, do your thing. But I mean, honestly, he just has a, a different love language in a way of, of 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 showing support. He's tough, country boy from Macon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's always been tough love, and I've known that. And you know, people are who they are. And you know, I mean, he showed it by, you know, he told my wife, he was like, uh, I'm really proud of my son at my birthday. And that meant a lot. He won't tell me. Right. 
You know what I mean? Right. He'll tell other people. Right. And 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 I'll hear it down like through 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 the grapevine, but you know, he's happy. He wants me to do my thing. And and for me, playing him is just an honor because how many people get to do that? And you know, I um I wanted to do him justice. I wanted to do the character justice. And um, you know, I hopefully hopefully people see that I try to embody him as well. And he sees, hopefully he sees um that I try to embody him as as, as great as possible. Yeah. Well, I know one thing for sure, because he came directly to me and said he did <laughs> not wear a fur coat and play basketball. <laughs> And he has not gotten a pedicure before. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, that's a lie. <laughs> that, so, you know, but I love him. Very yep. direct. Yeah. Love yep. the family. Yeah. Always been hospitable to me. And I hope that he walks away from this knowing that this is a love letter of appreciation. Absolutely. To him and that entire team. Absolutely. So, this gig, as far as playing your dad, mm-hmm. It's not just about playing basketball. The physical training. Mm. You got to go through the physical training. You got to go through basketball training. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, you still have to come and be an actor. Right. That process. Let's speak to it. Um, so when I first started, when I auditioned, I think I weighed maybe like 185, close to 190. I was bigger. So immediately, once I found out I got it, Super excited. One of the best moments of my life. It was right before my birthday, too. I think I found out I got in, like, June. And I was like, okay, I got to go hard. So I called my dad. I was like, how much did you weigh? He was like, 163. And I was like, I weigh about 185, 190. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit. <I> was, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> how is this going to work out? So um, basically... I just started looking up a whole bunch of uh, different ways to cut weight. And what I came across was intermittent fasting. Mm. So I literally trained myself to not eat after 7 p.m. and not eat before 1 p.m. Wow. And then on top of that, we have basketball practice every day. Yep. You know what I mean? Every day going hard. Edan uh, Ravine, uh, he was our trainer, and he literally killed us <laughs> every day. You know, I mean, I feel like we ran at least five miles in the practice straight up. So I remember one day coming to you. It was on this episode two, uh-huh. on episode four. Uh-huh. Max and I were watching dailies, uh-huh. and you had your shirt off. And we both looked at each other, and it was like, he's too sexy. <laughs> who's going to tell him and I remember coming to you and you were in the gym curling weights we were in the gym playing that day and you were curling weights and you looked at me I guess you saw the look on your face you was like Rob what's up what's up what's up what's up I was like how do I tell this man because I'm always fighting, you know, even though I'm in middle age, I'm fighting for a degree of sexiness myself. How do I tell another man that he's entirely too sexy to be playing a basketball player? Actually, the word was ripped. I interpreted it as yeah, sexy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you looked at me as if to say, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> and then it was like, well, in 1979, they didn't look this good. <laughs> I could see what you were thinking. You were so ripped. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> so let's get into the arc of Norm, uh, of mm. Norm Nixon in this episode. Um, up until this point, we've seen from the pilot this competitive thing with you and Magic and your concern right. as to who's going to play point, point mm -hmm. guard. And it sort of manifests in this episode uh, a movement of that story arc because the two of you sort of come to a conclusion on the floor because of Coach McKinney's game plan. Can you talk about a little bit the arc of that rivalry between the two of you? Well, yeah, yeah. I think um, my dad came into the league and. 77 he was on the lakers previous to magic and him coming in you know so i think that with anyone if you think your job is going to be threatened you know mm -hmm. you got to claim your ground you know you got was gotta, point guard when magic came he was already he was already established point guard. as that dude exactly and you know he came um i think my dad he was drafted like first round but he was drafted late and nobody really knew that he could hoop like he did. He came from Duquesne, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, you know, Duke or like one of those like crazy schools. So I feel like people overlooked him a little bit. And I feel like when Magic came in, I feel like my dad was like, all right, I'm going to show this cat what's up. And 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 that's what he did. Like when you, when, when you look at the pilot, you know, he wanted to embarrass him. He wanted to to play with him a little bit and be like, you know what, this is my team, and that's right. what I do say. But also, he knows the kid is good. Right. And that's the thing. It's like if he was weak, if he, if he couldn't carry his weight, if he didn't win that championship, if he wasn't who he was, you know, it would be a different story. But he And he knew. still wants to win. At the end of the day, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what it's about, getting that ring. Yeah. So Norm and Magic, I think, form a bond because Norm is a senior to him. He mm -hmm. wants to take him under his wing as his brother. And then when they play together, I think that they realized how they fit like glue. And, and honestly, I remember talking to my dad. Magic and Norm were two of the fastest guards in the backcourt for a long time. So they just figured it out and they figured out how to gel. So it went up and down, but it was like a big brother. You know how you treat your brother, you know, pick on him, punch him, you know, you want to make him tough. And that's what I think happened eventually. You know? still love. Still love, always love. <sighs> so there's a scene, one of my favorite Devon slash Norm Nixon scenes, mm -hmm. um, when all of the guys go to Jerry West's hotel room to complain about McKinney running mm -hmm. them into the ground. What's on your mind? Coach, we got a bone to pick with this McKinney motherfucker. Oh, man, this, this run and gun method he got us doing, man. We can't keep doing this That's every right. game. Norm, right. you feel the same way? Come on, get it off your chest. I don't know, maybe this McKinney is on or something. We could just try some new shit. If it doesn't work, then... Nah, you fuck know, fuck that, was just on our side exactly. a minute ago. What the well, hell are you talking about? Broke exactly. Do you remember that moment and... How did it feel to you? I do remember that moment because I actually called my dad before and I asked him. I was like, who's one of your favorite coaches? McKinney. Wow. He said, McKinney is the reason why 
the Lakers are the Showtime Lakers. Straight up. Wow. Facts. And my dad was always like, you know, he was always quick. And, you know, he was always just like, let's push the ball, let's push the ball, let's push the ball. That was all McKinney. All McKinney. And Pat Riley adopted the style eventually. And, you know, he pushed the Lakers to more championships. But, you know, the inception of that idea to push and outlet pass, all McKinney. And I remember because, yeah, I called him that day. And so when I was thinking about that, that moment clicked with me. And that's where you probably got that no, it real felt authentic. There was a reaction. That, it wasn't just going through the motions, not uh -huh. that anyone ever did, but you felt something that was different. That whole scene sort of worked. And yeah. that was like the linchpin to making it. Exactly. Because I knew in that moment that he made my dad better. And and my character when I was actually in the scene, you know, I just embodied that whole thing and I was just like, you know what? This guy has a different way of doing things. We haven't we haven't been getting wins, fellas. Right. You know what I mean? So something has to change. So there's somebody we have to talk about. Okay. That I don't want to talk about. Okay. But I'm supposed to talk about. Yeah. Quincy. <laughs> so, invariably, every Yo. week, it seems like there's a moment Yo. that I have to talk about Quincy. Yo. This is that moment for this episode. Okay, okay. Uh, the chemistry that the two of you have, in all seriousness, is um, one of the strongest parts of the whole basketball dynamic. The two of you together, from the pilot at Sterling's house all the way through this moment. Johnson, you're running point on A. You hear that, Norm? That's B as in bench, as in what your ass gonna be sitting on. <laughs> that rivalry between the two and then when you guys come together is a beautiful thing to watch. And for, you know, we aren't, we're probably, we're close to like halfway through the season. Mm -hmm. And we've been on a journey with you guys from driving down to, uh, to training camp, training camp yeah. and all of the different machinations that go through competitively, you know, who's going to be point guard? Right. Who's going to have this? Who's going to do that? The testosterone, the macho basketball player thing. But the way you two guys come together really, really works well. Can you talk about how it is, how working with Quincy is and how you vibe with Quincy and the, just the relationship? Yeah, man. So, so me and Q... You know, when we, we, we first met uh, when we were training with Edan on the basketball court. And, you know, deer in headlights, didn't know anything, super green, you know, wet behind the ears. Like, you know, and he was just such a, a humble, sweet country mm -hmm. <laughs> individual. I, I remember we were, he was ordering some food. He was like... Uh, let me get a... I was like, hey, man, like, can I please, <laughs> me brother? You, you in L.A. Help. now, man. Yeah. You and me. Like, what are, what are we doing here? You know, and that's how I think Magic and Norm were. But me and Quincy, literally, he's like a little brother to me, man. Like, I, you know, I took him under the wing, and, like, we we would hang out. We would we would go to lunch, you know, Um because he didn't know anybody here. Right. You know, he came out here, you know, got this role of a lifetime, which is incredible for him. I'm so proud of him. 
great actor too. Just so natural. Um, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll 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 speak on this. So, the scene in the pilot where we play one on one. Yep. Slow. <laughs> Can you understand that? We going slow, boy. We going slow. Ain't, ain't, ain't that how you country boys be talking? Out, out there, out, out there in uh, Michigan. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. 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 Here. Oh. Oh shit. Oh. Excuse me. I didn't talk to him all day. He was calling me. Right. Mm. I wanted him to hate me because we were so cool that I didn't think that it would work. I don't even think you know this. So, like, I, I didn't think it would work in the scene because of how tight we were. You know, he was spending the night at my house, you know. Ignored all his calls. Didn't talk to him the whole day. In between cuts, I would walk away. Maybe we would have a little bit of banter in between. But I wanted him to hate me. And... The scene in the pilot where I step over That's him. That's what that was the moment. The look that he gives you when you step he wanted, over him. He wanted yeah. to literally punch yeah. me in my face. Yes. Literally. He he did not like that at all. He was so mad. And I called him that night after we had finished filming. And I was like, Q. He's like, what, man? I was like, I love you, man. I was like, this was all a part of the process. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you had to hate me in that moment. And this is the pilot. This is what the audience is going to see first. This is what's going to sell the show. And this is a big moment. Then again, he was like, thank you. Because I actually did hate you. I wanted to punch you. And, you know, that just speaks to our relationship and how he is my brother. I can do that. I, I feel comfortable doing that. And I know that he will have my back. And I know he'll forgive me. And, you know, it's just, uh, um, yeah, we just have a... Can you stop him from singing in the makeup trailer? <laughs> season two. I don't Just, know. It's man. really bad. I don't know. He I can't mean, sing. He, he tries. He, God he knows he tries. He can't sing at all, but half no. the time, half the time, he's he's knocked out. That's that boy true. be That's snoring. True. I'm like, bro, like you gotta stop. Just as an outside observer, it felt like you guys became a team for real. Yeah. You know, there was a camaraderie. There was a sense of um, brotherhood and watching you guys do what you do. I remember the scene um, before we go to get Hayward, when Hayward's outside, when we're in the club. At the club? Yeah. And this is a later episode. But I just felt a sense of camaraderie between all of you. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, we had to practice all together. We would go to lunches together. We would, we would text where we, we have a, a ongoing group chat, you know, um, everybody was in the mix and it didn't matter if you were somebody that was a double. It didn't matter if you were an extra, you know, since we were always playing and we were rehearsing, you know, that brotherhood just. It was just natural, you know? It, it it just happened naturally, man, between all of us. And I'm 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 grateful for that because, you know, some days I was down or my knee hurt, you know what I mean? And everybody would pick me up. And like I said, um 
we 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 had our panel yesterday. The background actors just got us so involved yeah. in in the scenes, and they were great, man. Because you know we had yes. some long days, very long. Days. And if it wasn't for that energy, you know, we would all been asleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? We would have been like, damn, how many more takes we got to do? Okay, because I remember I would go to the back to like you know the 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 holding area where we all were, and people were just knocked out in the chairs. Man, we were going hard, man. We put in some work, and you guys did as well. You well, know? I really appreciate your work and everything that you put into this. I know there were some days that were more difficult than others, but you did a fantastic job. And Thank you, man. being able to watch you in dailies and then in the edit, I think um, part of the success of this show is your ability to do what you do really, really well. So thank, thank you. you. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you in general. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing you and talking to you again. Thank you so much, Rodney. Appreciate it, man. Back at you. My next guest is Sarah Scott. Winning Times Intimacy Coordinator. Sarah, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Happy to be here, Rodney. Happy to have you. So, um, you're an intimacy coordinator. I am. What is an intimacy coordinator? Uh, Well, I would say the short answer there is we are advocates for actors. We are liaisons between the actor and the production to ensure safe sets when it comes to hyper-exposed work. So making sure that everybody's in the know, everything's been talked about, the nudity writers are in place, the modesty garments are there. Um, we are there to ensure safe practice when it comes to that kind of work. You did a great job in working with the flow of the show, and I think having you there made everybody feel more comfortable. And I never actually... I never looked at it like this works for men, too. 100%. You know, because we are portraying uh, a locker room of guys in a very specific era. Mm-hmm. Although I did get some pushback. From some of the guys were like, this isn't the, this isn't how guys are in the locker room. I'm like, well, I don't know, but I would think they would be. <laughs> As someone who had to be semi-nude in 1979 in the locker room, I'll say <laughs> it was, there was some authenticity um, that was there. Yeah. And I think we capture a lot of it, and mm-hmm. we capture a lot of it thanks to you. Well, thank you. That's a that's a huge compliment. So I I really I, that's my goal, honestly. And and reading the room and being part of a flow of a show, it's always different. Every show has a different energy. Yeah. And this the high stakes on this one. So uh, that scene at the Mexican restaurant, mm-hmm. Doctor Buss and his girlfriend. Your wife seems nice. Yeah, she's great. You're a good dad. But you're a great daddy, too. Am I? Think you could be. What are you doing? Having a little fun, daddy. Okay. There were kids. Yeah. You had two people doing something that was very intimate in an open space. How was that to work with for you? Mm-hmm. How was that? Um, you know, that to me, that was a lot of work in prep. That scene specifically, 
it, it really lended itself to an easier, a, a good day because you could have read that scene as an actor and been like, oh, okay, whatever, no big deal. When I described how the camera was going to move below the table mm-hmm. and see the specifics of what was going on, she was, she was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. And, I, and that's really important because when you're in prep in, as an actor, thinking about and, like, ruminating over, okay, what's my day going to be? When you know that ahead of time, I think it allowed her— to be in the right mindset. Like, okay, I know this. And then when we went, when we moved into rehearsal for that, it was very delicate and very, you know, talking it all out. We made sure to have a very private rehearsal that day with Max and John and Lily and I. And um, just, you know, talking everything through really slowly. Making sure, like, step by step, that all seemed cool. Figuring out a way to do it and not really do it, you know what I mean? Like masking it so that it looked like he was doing one thing, but actually the pressure, we figured out a way that he could put the pressure on her underwear instead of on her body. Right. And that also we didn't do it too many times. We made sure that, that... that we shot this once the little kids were gone. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be close. Yeah. But of course, you know, they were offset when we when we got to that part. The beauty of television magic. <laughs> the magic. Yes, yes. It was a delicate dance, but you mm-hmm. did it in such a way that it became a normal part of the process of making a television show. Good. My second part was how did that work when we were at the party house? They told me magic's outside. <laughs> that boy wore a prom suit to pull some pussy. Everybody seemingly was naked, and you were moving from person to person to person to person. It was a lot to manage. Oh, yeah. Multiple people naked and then multiple people having sex. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that I was, uh, it was all hands on deck, you know? Mm-hmm. So much about the work is prep, so mm-hmm. much is communicating with costumes, making sure, you know, eye contact, you've got that. Okay. Makeup. Makeup, you know, they're on the Merkins, which were a big deal for this show because, as you mentioned, being era-specific, if listeners don't know— You're going to have to—yeah, I was going to say, you're going to have to tell them what a Merkin is. (laughs) I know what a Merkin is, but you're going to have to tell them what a Merkin is. Okay, so a Merkin, I mean, I don't know the definition—it's it's a pubic hair wig. Mm -hmm. And on this show, because this is 1979, the in-fashion pubic hair— uh, style was full bush. Yes. I think we went yes. a little too forced. Far. Was, it was a forest. There was one younger performer <laughs> yes. and the Merkin was so big. It we, was we, huge. We saw it on camera. Like, yes. We got to take that down. Yeah. But we were experimenting, you know, different silicones and different um, different garments in order to, you know, the makeup department, Kate was working on that a lot, trying to figure out what was going to work best. And <laughs> <laughs> I think at the, that party scene, we must have had three or four Merkins, and and that was tough. You mentioned it a moment ago. Preparation. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare? What is your process of preparing for a day? So it all starts with the script, you know. Mm-hmm. It all starts with, with getting that, the material, reading it, and breaking. I do my own breakdown. So even though, you know, I might get a note that we've got this scene's got some, you know, simulated sex, and then this scene we've got some nudity, I might— as I'm reading, come across something that's questionable. So so I flag things, I break it down, and then we have an intimacy meeting and just basically go through my breakdown. And, and, and I look at it like having a performer background, I know when I would get a script as an actress and I would say, it would say like, you know, Molly and Jim have sex. It's like, okay, that's so vague. Like, 
you know, am I nude? What am I wearing? What's he wearing? So I, I look at it from that lens, too, of like all the questions. How long are, are you going to hang on that? Like, do you know your camera angles? Um, what positions are we in? Do we climax? Are you going to see climax? Is it going, you know, are you fading out? Are you, you know, where's the camera moving? Um, all the things, all the nitty-gritty. And sometimes in that intimacy meeting, I'll notice that a director won't know the answer and they'll get a little flustered. I'm like, no, no, it's fine. Just this is a good time to figure that out. Right. You know? And so, yeah, I get all those questions answered. And then I have a really important meeting with the actors one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And if anything comes up, if any red flags come up in that conversation, or if they flat out tell me something they want me to tell the production, uh, which in the case of some of the players was, you know what, I'm not feeling this. I don't want to, I don't want to go bottomless for that right. scene, you know. Then I relay that to the to the team, to the to the intimacy kind of thread that I would create and have a back and forth. So that basically when we get to set on the day, there aren't any surprises. So I'm there to on the day make sure that, you know, Everything that's happening is above board and, and that, you know, this is truly a closed set. So I'll work with the mm-hmm. second ADs and, and the AD team to make sure that's happening. And, you know, let's just make sure we're not using words or calling body parts. Like, I know, <laughs> I don't know how old school it is, but, you know, even something silly like, you know, we can't see your tits. It's like, let's just let's just call them breasts. <laughs> you know, like, if I heard that, I might just be like, hey, do you mind, you know. Yes. Because that might seem normal to a, a guy, yeah. but to the actress, they're like, gosh, why does he keep calling? Like, my my hope is that, you know, everybody, and I, I got the feeling that the actors walked away um, feeling really confident and really good, you mm-hmm. know? I know having walked away and not felt good, like, it just stays with you mm-hmm. when you've done something and it just feels icky. Yes. I'm like, ugh. And that's like, my, my hope for every performer I work with is that they're heard, you right. know, that their voice is heard and that they're protected and that they've been thought of. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for being here. Aww. Thank you for your work. And I hope we are able to talk to you again. Thank you, Rodney. It's You're a very pleasure well to be welcome. here. Thank you. We're now at the end of the show. But before my time's up, let me beat the buzzer with one last thing. I couldn't leave without talking about the animation sequence that pops up in this episode. The Lakers are in the middle of practice and the team isn't quite gelling on the court. Kareem's reluctant to change his signature style. Norm Nixon is determined to keep his spot as point guard. And then there's our rookie, Magic Johnson. To show what we, as the writers, imagined was going on in Magic's head, we decided to do something a little different. Animation. This animation sequence gave us the chance to play with some different colors in the storytelling paint box. We could show who Magic thinks he is and how he's the star in the fantasy world of his mind. The style of animation was inspired by the cartoons of the 1970s and 80s, what Magic may have watched as a kid. So we asked animator Raphael Zantil, who has worked on everything from big blockbusters like Ice Age to hit Nickelodeon shows to make this sequence look like a classic Hanna-Barbera cartoon. For those of you who are too young to know, Hanna-Barbera was the production company behind some of the most famous cartoons of all time, The Flintstones, The Jetsons, Tom and Jerry, and Scooby-Doo. Who knows, maybe this whole thing would turn into a spinoff, The Adventures of Magic Johnson and Scooby-Doo.
Thanks for listening to the official Winning Time podcast. And a special thank you to our guests, Sarah Scott and Devon Nixon. Winning Time airs on HBO Sunday nights, and our next episode comes out on March the 27th. See you then. This is the official Winning Time Companion podcast, and it's a production of HBO, Pineapple Street Studios, and Hyper Object Industries. Our executive producers are Harry Nelson, Claire Slaughter, Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our lead producer on the show is Jess Hackle. Aaron Kelly is our managing producer. Shaka Mali, Jonathan Shiflett, and Elliot Adler are our producers. Darby Maloney is our editor, and our engineers are Davey Sumner and Jason Richards. Production music is courtesy of HBO, and you can watch episodes of Winning Time on HBO Max. <laughs>